if I don't come back. Artyom was sure he would be cross-examined as soon as he got home. His stepfather would shake him down, trying to find out what he spoke about with Hunter. Contrary to his expectations, his stepfather wasn't awaiting him with a rack and Spanish boots, but was snoring peacefully, but was snoring peacefully. He didn't have a chance to sleep in the last 24 hours. Since he'd, since he'd been on night patrol and slept that day, Artyom was again going to have to work the night shift. This time at the tea factory. Decades of life underground in the darkness inter in interspersed with patches of dull red light makes you lose loose a true sense of day and night. At night the station's lighting was a little weaker as it was on the trains of long ago so that people could sleep. But the lights never went out completely except in the case of an accident. Though it had become aggravated by years of living in darkness, human vision was nonetheless comparable with the eyesight of other creatures that lived in the tunnels in abandoned passages. The division of day and night had probably come about by force of habit rather than necessity. Night made sense because the majority of inhabitants in the station were more comfortable with the idea of everyone sleeping at the same time letting the cattle rest, turning down the light could find out the time by the two station clocks placed over the entrance of the tunnels on either side. These clocks were considered to be as important as strategic objects like the arms stores, the water filters, and the electric generator. They were always looked after and the smallest problems with them were immediately dealt with and any delinquents attempting to take them down were dealt with very strictly, sometimes sent into exile from the station. Here there was a, a criminal code by which the VDNKH judged criminals in swift trials and it was always being applied to extraordinary situations which were resolved and then new rules were established. Any actions against strategic objects brought about the most severe punishments. For smoking and the setting of fires on platforms as well as the careless handling of weapons and explosives, you would be immediately expelled from the station and your property confiscated. These draconian measures could be explained by the fact that several stations had already been burnt to nothing. 
Fire spread instantly through small tent cities, devouring everything and the wild screams of awful pain which echoed in the ears of the neighboring stations for months afterward. Charred bodies stuck to the melted plastic and canvases, and sets of teeth cracked from the inconceivable charred bodies stuck to the melt inconceivable heat of the flames, gnashed in the light of the lanterns held by frightened traitors who had accidentally come upon this traveler's hell. In order to avoid the repetition of such a grim fate in the rest of the stations, the careless setting of fires became a serious criminal offense. Theft sabotage and deliberate avoidance of labor were also punished with exile. But, considering that almost everyone was always visible to each other and that there were only 200 or so people at the station, these kinds of crimes were rare and usually per per perpetrated by strangers. Labor was compulsory, and everyone, young and old, had to fulfill a daily quota. The pig farm, the mushroom plantation, the tea factory, the meat packing plant, the fire and engineer services, the weapon shop. Every inhabitant worked in one or two of these places. Men were also required to go on military duty in one of the tunnels once every 48 hours. When some kind of conflict arose, or some new danger appeared from the depths of the metro, the patrols were strengthened and they put a reserve force on the pathways at the ready. Life was so meticulously arranged here, and, and VDNKH had established such a reputation for it that there were many wishing to live there, but it was very rare for outsiders to be taken into the settlement. There was a few more hours until his night shift at the tea factory in Artium, not knowing what to do himself, trudged over to see his friend Zinya, the same one with whom he undertook the head-spinning adventure to the surface. Zinya was his age, but unlike Artyom, he lived with his own real family, his father, mother, and youngest sister. There were only a handful of incidents where a whole family had been saved and Artyom secretly envied his friend. Of course, he loved his stepfather very much and respected him, even now that the man's nerves had got the better of him. But nonetheless, he knew that Sequoi wasn't his father and wasn't his kin altogether. He had never called him dad. At the beginning, Sequoi asked Artyom to call him Uncle Sasha, but later regretted it. Years had gone by and the old tunnel wolf hadn't managed to start a family of his own. 
He didn't even have a woman who would wait for him to return from expeditions. His heart would beat harder when he saw a mother and child, and he dreamed about the possibilities that one day he wouldn't have to go out into the darkness, disappearing from the life of the station for days and weeks and maybe forever. And then he hoped that he would find a woman who would be prepared to be his wife and to bear him children, which when they learned to speak would not call him Uncle Sasha, but father. Old age and feebleness were not getting ever were getting ever closer, and there was less and less time remaining, and he needed to hurry. But all the same, it would be hard to put all, pull off. Task followed task, and he couldn't find anyone to take over his work. No one to trust with his connections and his perfect professional secrets in order to finally start doing some non-manual work at the station. He had always long considered doing work that was a bit more peaceful, and he even knew that he could fall back on a supervisory role at the station thanks to his authority, his stellar record, and his friendly relations with the administration. But for now, there was no one capable of replacing him, not even on the horizon. So he entertained himself with thoughts of happy, of a happy future, and he lived for today, postponing his final return and continuing to spend his sweet, his sweat and blood for the sake of the granite of other stations and the concrete of far-off tunnels. Artyom knew that his stepfather, despite showing fatherly love towards him, didn't think of him as his successor in professional matters, and mostly thought of Artyom as a nitwit and completely undeserving of such responsibility. He didn't take Artyom on long expeditions, Ignoring the fact that Artyom had grown up and could no longer be persuaded that he was still too young and that zombies would drag him off or rats would eat him. He didn't understand, expressing a lack of confidence in Artyom had pushed the boy into desperate escapades for which Sequoi had to punish him afterwards. He had probably wanted not to subject Artyom to the senseless mortal danger of wandering the metro, but allow the boy to live the way Sequoia wanted to live himself, in peace and safety, working and raising children, not wasting his youth unnecessarily. But in wanting such a life for Artyom, he was forgetting to strive for such a life himself, and had passed through the fire and water, and succeeded in forgetting, or in surviving hundreds of adventures, and was satisfied with them. And the wisdom acquired with years wasn't speaking to him anymore. 
all that spoke to him were the years themselves and the fatigue they brought. Artyom had energy boiling inside him. He had only just started living. The prospect of drudging through the vegetation, vegetative existence of crumbling and drying mushrooms and changing diapers and never going beyond the 500th meter seemed absolutely inconceivable. The desire to get away from the station grew in him every day as he understood more and more clearly that life was that life, uh, clearly what life his stepfather was molding for him. A career as a tea factory worker and the role of a father with many children was less appealing than anything on earth. He was drawn to adventure, wanting to be carried along like tumbleweed in the tunnel droughts, and to follow these droughts into uncertainty to meet his fate. And that's what Hunter probably saw in him, asking him to take part in a venture of such enormous risk. This Hunter fellow had a subtle sense of smell when it came to people, and after an hour of conversation he understood that he could propose the plan to Artyom. Even if Artyom didn't ever get to the designated place, at least there was the prospect of leaving the station in accordance with his orders in the event that something should happen to Hunter at the Botanical Gardens. And the Hunter wasn't mistaken in his voice. Luckily, Xenia was at home, and now Artyom could pass the evening discussing the latest gossip and having conversations about the future over strong tea. Great, his friend explained in response to Artyom's greetings. You're also on night duty at the factory today. They put me there too. I'm so sick of it that I want to ask the boss to switch me. But if they put me with, put you with me, that's fine. I can handle it. You were on patrol today, right? Well, tell me. I heard that you heard a, a state of emergency there. What happened? Artyom cast a sidelong look at Xenia's younger sister with great emphasis as she had become so interested in the conversation that she had stopped stuffing mushrooms waste into the ragdoll that her mother had sewn for her and was watching him with bated breath and round eyes from the corner of the tent. Listen, little one, Cynthia said strictly, having understood what Artyom meant. You now go on. Get out of here with your little thing and go and play at the neighbors. I think Katya invited you over 
We have to be nice to the neighbors, so go on and take your dollies with you. Little girl squeaked indignantly and started to gather her things with a gloomy look on her face, meanwhile making suggestions to her doll, who was blankly looking at no, looking up at the ceiling with her semi-erased eyes. You think you're so important. I know everything anyway. You're going to talk about your mushrooms, she said contemptuously as she left. You, Linka, are still too small to discuss mushrooms. Milk on your lips hasn't even dried yet. Artyom put her in her place. What's milk? The girl asked, puzzled, touching her lips. But neither of them bothered to explain, and the question hung in the air. When she left, Zanya fastened the flaps of the tent nest. Well, what happened? Go on, spill it. I've heard quite a lot about it already. One guy says that a huge rat crawled out of the tunnel. Another guy says that you scared off a spy for, for the Dark Ones and that you even wounded him. Who should I believe? <laughs> Don't believe anyone, Artyom advised. They're all lying. It was a dog, a little puppy. Andre, the Marine, picked it up. He said that it was a German Shepherd. Artyom smiled. Yeah, but I heard that Andrei, Andre, I heard from Andre that it was a rat. Zinya said, perplexed. Did a he lie on purpose or what? You don't know that his favorite catchphrase. That's his favorite catch catchphrase. The one about the rats the size of pigs. He's a comedian, you see, Artyom responded. So, what's new with you? What have you heard from the boys? Zanya's friends were traders delivering teas and pork to the market at Prospect Myrrh. They brought back multivitamins, cloth, all sorts of junk. Sometimes they even got hold of oil. Sometimes they'd bring dirt, stained books, often with pages missing, which had mysteriously ended up at Prospect Myrrh. Having traveled through half the metro system, passing from one trunk to the next, from one pocket to the next, from one merchant to another, before finally finding their rightful owners. At VDNKH, they were proud of the fact that despite their distance from the center and the main trade routes, the settlers there were able not just to survive conditions that worsened every day, but to maintain at least within the station human culture which was quickly dying out underground. The administration of the station had strived to give this issue as much attention as possible. 
it was mandatory to teach children to read, and the station even had its own small library, to which all the books that they managed to acquire at the market were added. The problem was that the traders didn't really choose the books, they just brought what they were given and they collected it as though it was scrap paper. But the attitude of the people at the station towards books was such that they wouldn't rip even one page out of the silliest pulp fiction. People revered books as though they were relics, as a final reminder of the wonderful world that had sunk into oblivion. Adults who held sacred every second of the memoir they read transferred this love of books to their children, who had nothing to remember of the other world and only knew the endless intersecting and gloomy tunnels, corridors, and passages. In the metro, there were just a few places where the written word was idolized like this, and the inhabitants of VDNKH considered themselves to be one of the last strongholds of culture. The northernmost post of civilization on the Kaliskil Riskoi line. Artyom also read books and Xenia did too. Xenia awaited the return of his friends from the market and when they arrived he would rush up to them to ask if they'd brought anything new. And so Books almost always got into Zinnia's hands first, and then they went to the library. Artyom's stepfather brought him books from his expeditions, and they had almost a whole bookshelf of books in their tent. The books lay on the shelf, yellowing and sometimes a little gnawed by mold and rats sometimes sprinkled with brown specks of blood. They had things that no one else had at the station and perhaps in the whole metro system. Marcuse, Kafka, Borges, Leon, and some Russian classics. The guys didn't bring anything this time, said Zinya. Lekia, says that there will be a load of books coming soon from a guy in Polis. He promised to bring a couple here. I'm not talking about books, Artyom waved Zinio away. But what have you heard? What's the situation? <clears throat> the situation? Nothing, it seems. There are all sorts of rumors, of course but that's not different than usual. You know yourself that the traitors can't survive without their gossip and stories. They'd wither straight away if you didn't feed them a few rumors. But whether you should believe their rubbish or is another question. It looks as though all is quiet. 
if you compare it with the times when the Hansa was at war with the Reds, that is. But wait, he remembered something. On Prospect Myrrh, they have forbidden the sale of weed. Now, if you find any weed on a trader, they will confiscate it all and will chuck him out of the station and put it on his record too. If they find any on you a second time, Becca says they won't let you into Hata for a few years, and that's death to a traitor. Come on. What? They've just forbidden it? What are they thinking? They say that they decided that it's a drug since it affects the way you see things, and that your brain starts to corrode if you take it too often. They're like doing it for health reasons. They should take care of their own health. Why are they worried about others all of a sudden? You know what Zinya said in a low voice? Lekau says they're putting out all sorts of misinfo about things that are bad for your health. What misinfo? Artyom asked, surprised. Misinformation. Here, listen, Lekia once went along the line past Prospect Mur. He made it to Sekerhevskaya. He was doing some dark business, wouldn't even say what it was, and there he met an interesting old guy, a magician. Who? Artyom couldn't hold back, couldn't hold back and burst out laughing. A magician at Sakharovskia? Come on, he's having you, no, he's having you on. Your Lekka, or Lika, and what the magician gave him, a magic wand, or a stick that turns into a flower? You're an idiot, Zinya was offended. You think you know it all. Just because you haven't met a magician doesn't mean there aren't any. You believed in the mutants of filth. Who, who needs to believe? They're there, and that's pretty clear. My stepfather told me about them. But I've never heard anything about magicians. Even though I have a lot of respect for Sequoia, I don't think he knows everything in the whole world either. Maybe he wanted just to scare you. Basically, if you don't want to hear about it, then screw you. Okay, okay, Zinya, go on. It's interesting anyhow, even if it sounds like Ardian grand. Okay. They're spending the night by the fire. No one, you know, lives permanently at Sekarovskaya. So the traders from other stations stop there because the Hansa authorities see them off from Prospect Mur after it lights out. 
And well, the whole crowd hangs around there, various charlatans and thieves. They all stick to the traders. The riot and various wanderers rest there too, before heading south. So in the tunnels, beyond Sekarovskaya, some kind of ruckus begins. Nobody lives there, not rats, not mutants, and the people that try to pass through those tunnels mostly disappear, just disappear, without a trace. Beyond Sekarovskaya, the next station is Turgenevskaya. It's the next, it's next to the red line. There was a passage to Chistai Prudy there, but the reds have named it Karov again. Some communist was called that, they say. No, some communist was called that, they say. Perhaps were too afraid to live near the station they walled up the passage, and now Targaniskaya is there, empty, abandoned. So the tunnel there, from Sekarovskaya to the nearest human settlement, is a long way, and it's there that people disappear. People go one by one, then they almost certainly don't make it through. But if they go in a caravan of more than 10 people, then they get through. And it's nothing, they say, just a normal tunnel, clean, quiet, empty, and there aren't any side passages. And there doesn't seem to be anywhere to disappear to. Not a soul, not a sound, not a beast to be seen. And then the next day, someone will hear about and it's clean and easy and they'll spit on the superstition and go into the tunnel alone and then peekaboo now you see them now you don't you were saying something about the magician Artyom quietly reminded him I'm getting to the magician wait a minute Sonya said so here you have it. People are afraid to go alone through this tunnel to the south, and they look for companions at Sakharovskaya so they can go together, through together. And if there's not a market day, then there aren't many people, and sometimes they have to wait days and weeks until there's there there are enough people to set off. So the more people, the safer. Lekov says that you sometimes meet really interesting people there. There are plenty of Westerals there too, and you have to know how to differentiate between them. But sometimes you are lucky. So Lekov meets this magician there. It's not what you think. Not some hotta bitch that comes out of, out of a lamp. Hotovich was a Dijin, not a magician. Artyom carefully corrected him, but Zanya ignored his comment and continued. The guy isn't a cultist. He'd spent his 
He, he had spent half his life studying all kinds of mystical literature. He told Lekau mostly about the Castaneda chap. So the guy basically reads a lot and looks into the future, finds missing things, and knows about the future dangers. He says that he sees spirits. Can you imagine? He even... Zanya paused dramatically. He even goes through the metro without a weapon. I mean, completely unarmed. He only has a penknife to cut up food, and he has a plastic staff too. See? So, he says that everyone who takes weed and the people who drink it too, they're all madmen because it is not what we think it is at all. It's not any kind of real weed, and these mushrooms, they aren't mushrooms either. Such toadstools have never grown in the central region before. Basically, one day I looked in a mushroom book, and it's true, there's not a word about the kinds of mushrooms we have here. There is nothing even remotely like them. Those that eat it, thinking that it is just a hallucinogen and they can watch cartoons on it, are totally mistaken, says this magician. And if you cook these toadstools in a slightly different way, then you can enter a state where it is possible to regulate events in the real world. That's quite a magician you have there. More like a drug addict, Artyom declared with conviction. A lot of people here play around with weed to relax, but, as you know, no one has ever taken it to that degree. The guy is addicted 100%, and he hasn't got, oh, and he hasn't got long, I'd say. Listen, Uncle Sasha told me this story. There's some station, I don't remember which, where this old man, he didn't know, came up to him and started telling him that he was a powerful extra sense and that he was waging an ongoing war with similar powerful psychics and aliens. Only they are malicious, and they are almost defeating him, and he might not be able to fight them any longer. And all his strength was going into the fight, and the station, like Sucker of Skaya, a kind of half station where people sit around campfires in the center of the platform way off from the tunnel mouth, so they <clears throat> can get some sleep before they move on. And there, let's say there were three guys that walked past my stepfather and the old man, and the old man said to him in horror, you see, there, that's one in the middle. That is one of the main evil psychics, a disciple of darkness. And on either side of him are aliens. They're helping him. And their leader lives at the deepest point in the metro. 
and he says basically that they don't want to come up to me because they're sitting with me. They don't want regular people to know about our fight, but they're attacking me with their energy right now, and I'm putting up a shield. He says, I will continue to fight. You think it's funny, but my stepfather didn't think it was so funny at the time. Imagine, in some godforsaken corner of the metro, who knows what might happen. It sounds like rubbish, I know, but all the same. And there's Uncle Sasha telling himself that this old man is crazy, but then the guy who is walking with the two aliens is either side on either side is looking at him mean, meanly and there's something flashing in his eyes. What crap, Zonia said disbelievingly. Crap, it, it may be, but you well know that you should be prepared for anything at the distant stations. And the old man says to him that soon he, the old man that is, will face the final battle with the evil psychics. And if he loses, and his forces are less than theirs, then it's the end for everyone. Before he says, there were many positive psychics, and the battleground was even, but now the negatives have started to conquer, and this old man was one of the last standing. Maybe even the last standing. And if he is killed, then the evil ones will win, and that will be it. Checkmate. There, no, we're already at checkmate, in my opinion, Zanya observed. Well, let's say not total checkmate. There's still possibilities, Artyom replied. So in parting, the old man says to him, My son, give me something to eat, please. I have little strength left, and the final battle is coming near, and everyone's future depends on its outcome, yours too. You get, you get it? The old man was begging for food. That's your magician, I'd say. Also, lost some marbles, I'd say, but for another reason. You're a total fool. You don't even listen to the ending. And anyway, who told you that the old guy was lying? What was his name, by the way? Did your stepfather tell you? He told me, but I don't remember it exactly. Some kind of funny name. Starts with a chew. Could be a chum or chomp. Bums often have some kind of funny nickname instead of a real name. And what, what was the name of your magician? He took Laka. That no, he told Leka that they call him Carlos now. Because of the similarity, I don't know what he meant, but that's how he explained it. But you should listen to the end of the story. At the end of their conversation, 
he told Lekka that it's best not to go through the northern tunnel, though Lekka was prepared to go back the next day. Lekka listened to him and didn't go, and he was right. That day, some thugs attacked a caravan in the tunnel between Sekahorvskaya and Prospect Mur, even though it had been considered safe. Half of the traitors were killed. The rest barely managed to fight them off. So there. Artyom went quiet and sank into thought. Well, generally speaking, it's impossible to know anything can happen. Things like that used to happen. That's what my stepfather said. And he also said that at the most distant stations where people have gone wild and have become primitive, they've forgotten that man is a rational being and the strangest things happen. Things that our logical minds wouldn't be able to explain. He didn't go into it, though, and he wasn't even telling it to me. I just overheard by accident. Ah. I'm telling you, sometimes they describe things that normal people just wouldn't believe. Last time, Bucka shared another story with me. Wanna hear it? You won't have, no, you won't have heard this one from your stepfather. I tell you, the traitor from Serpokovskaya line told it to Lekka. So, don't you believe in ghosts? Well, every time I talk to you, I start to wonder if I believe in them or not. But then, when I'm on my own, or with other people, I come back to my senses. Artyom replied, barely managing to hold back a smile. Are you serious? Well, I've read some things, of course. And Uncle Sasha has told me a lot of stories. But if I'm honest, then I don't really believe in all these stories. In general, Xenia, I don't really understand you. Here at the station, we're living in unending nightmare with these dark ones. Something you don't find in any other part of the metro. I bet. Somewhere in the center of the metro system, there are kids talking about our life here, telling scary stories and asking each other, do you believe the tales about the dark ones or not? And to you, that means nothing. You want to scare yourself with yet more things. Yeah, but don't tell me that you are only interested in things you can see and feel. You don't really think that the world is organized into things you can see and hear. Take a mole, for example. It doesn't see. It's blind from birth. But that doesn't mean that all the things that the mole doesn't see don't actually exist. That's what you're saying. Okay, so what's the story you wanted to tell me about the traitors up at the... Serpukovskaya line about the traitor. Well, somehow Lekka met 
this one guy at the market there. He, I guess, was definitely not from Serpokovskaya. He's from the ring. He's a citizen of the Haunted, but he lives at Dobrininskaya. Over there, they have a passage to Serpokovskaya. On the line. I don't know if your stepfather told you, but there's no one living beyond the ring, that is, until the next station, which is Toskaya, where there's a Hansa patrol. They take measures to protect it. They basically think that since the line is inhabited, you never know what will crawl out of it, and so they made a buffer zone there, and no one goes beyond Tulskaya. They say that there's nothing to find there. The stations are all empty and equipped. No, are all empty. The equipment there is broken, and life is impossible. A dead zone, not an animal not any kind of vermin. There's not even rats there. Empty. But the trader had one acquaintance, a wanderer type. One who went beyond Tuscaya. I don't know what he was looking for there. And he told the trader that things are not so simple on the Surfuscaya line and that it's not empty for no reason. He was saying that he was saying that you can't even imagine what's going on out there. And there's a reason why the Hansa aren't colonizing the area. Even though you might think it would be a fine place for a plantation or a pigsty. Zanya went silent, feeling that Artyom had finally forgotten his robust cynicism and was listening within an open mouth, no, with an open mouth. Then he settled more comfortably on the ground with an inner feeling of triumph. Yeah, well, you're probably not interested in all this crap, old wives tells. Want some tea? Wait a second, with the tea. Instead, tell me why the Hansa didn't colonize the area. You're right. It's strange. My stepfather says that there's a general overpopulation problem anyhow. There isn't room for everyone anymore. So why would they give up the chance of taking a little more space? It's not like them. Ah, so you're, you are interested. Okay, so this stranger went pretty far into it. He was saying that you walk and you walk and there isn't a soul. There's nothing and no one. Like in the tunnel beyond Sekhorovskaya. Can you imagine? There's not even a rat. You're just, you just hear water dripping. Abandoned stations just sit there in darkness.
past and no one has ever lived there. And you always have a sense of being in danger. And it's and it's oppressive. He was walking quickly and he went through four stations in almost half a day. A desperate person, no doubt. I mean, really. To get into a game like that alone. So, he gets to Sevastopolskaya. There is a passage to Kakovskaya, and you know that Kakovskaya line he gets to, and you know the Kakovskaya line. There's only three stations on it. It's not a line, but an unfinished thought, sort of like an appendix. And he decided to spend the night at. Sebastopolskaya, having worn out his wits, he tried. He found some wood chips, laid a fire so it wouldn't be all so awful, and crawling into the sleeping bag, and went to sleep in the middle of the platform, and during the night, at this point, Zanya stood up, stretching, and said with a sadistic smile, Okay, I don't know about you, but I myself really want some tea. And not wanting, not waiting for an answer, he took the kettle out of the tent, leaving Artyom alone with his impressions from the story.